So we're going to uh, turn to our readings now, and the first reading that we have comes from, uh, I'm going to read the two uh, annunciation narratives, if you like. They're not two annunciations. There's one annunciation, but uh, the birth of Jesus foretold, first of all, from Luke chapter 1, 26 to 38. So the, the call and the account uh, or the account of the Annunciation to Mary. Luke chapter 1, let's hear God's Word. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly, greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Then we read from Matthew's gospel, from Matthew chapter 1. We're going to read there the account of Joseph's uh, acceptance of what God was calling him to. So Matthew 1 verse 18 this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Amen. May God bless His Word to us. Last week, we began our Advent journey in the wrong direction, 
or at least in a sort of non-typical direction. Normally, in Advent, we start with the second coming of Jesus. We reflect on the Word of God on Bible Sunday. We then think about John the Baptist, and then finally we think about the Virgin Mary. But I wanted to do it slightly differently this year, and we began with the epicentric moment of the Advent story of the coming of Jesus into the world. And last week reflected on how all of the events, past and future, were distilled and gathered into that one scrap of life, that one moment, that one tiny baby, the fulfillment of God's promises since the creation of the world, since fall and God's promise of redemption, since God's plan through Abraham to create a nation and bring forth a Messiah, a Redeemer, and the one through whom all things will be fulfilled and brought to their consummation and conclusion where we will be with Jesus in heaven. There'll be new heavens and a new earth, and there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, and all of it centered in one baby in one moment in time. And so we started last week with that moment in time. But what we're going to do week on week is move out from that center. So starting with the baby, we're going to move out to the environment around the baby. When Jesus was ascended to heaven, He told His disciples, the apostles, the sent ones, to wait till they would be clothed and receive a gift from on high. And He said, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so the gospel of the resurrection began with an empty tomb, a moment of confusion and bewilderment. And then it moved out within Jerusalem. And then that message was to go to Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. Well, the narrative of the birth has elements like that too, because at the center is a baby. But then the message began to go out from there. There was a community where that baby was born and born into, not just a family, but as we'll see, a place, a group of people, the town of Bethlehem. And then beyond that, Judea and Samaria, if you like, were the shepherds out on the hills, on the outskirts of Bethlehem, were the wise men outside of Israel altogether, much further away, probably from modern-day Iran or Iraq. And then we'll get to John chapter 1, the light of the world, and John's majestic prologue, which picks up themes from creation when God said, let there be light. And so we're moving out. So today we're going to think about the community. And particularly, I want us to think about hospitality and homelessness. What I didn't read about, uh, read because we read it last week, is the well-known narrative of how Jesus came to be born, of how it was that they went from Nazareth in Galilee to Bethlehem because of a census, and that they went there to register And then the time came for the baby to be born, so no suggestion that there was an emergency delivery. You know that they just made it off the road. They were already in Bethlehem when the time came for the baby to be born. We'd have been quite foolish and poorly prepared to have timed their arrival to coincide with delivery. 
And so they were already in Bethlehem when the baby was born. And I know I do this every year, and I'm going to do it again. I'm going to burst your Christmas bubbles. But there was no there was no stable, there was no cave, there was no inn. Here's an interesting thought. They didn't have inns in Bethlehem. Shock horror probe. Because Bethlehem was a community, and Middle Eastern culture and certainly Old Testament biblical witness consistently says that hospitality was a a responsibility on everybody. And that whether you knew people or opened your home to strangers, there was a mandate that said you give hospitality to people. There is a word for an inn in Luke. It's a different word. It's the word that is used in the story of the Good Samaritan. Inns were on roads between places in case you didn't make it before it got dark. Travel lodges, basically. And so, between places, on roads between places, you would find an inn. So, there was an inn between Jericho and Jerusalem because you might not make the journey in one day. And the word that Luke uses for an inn is, um, I should have written it down. It begins, no, I can't remember it. That's foolish, isn't it? The word that is used in Luke chapter 2, verse 7, when it says he was laid in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn, and I know I told you this last week, is Cataluma. It's a guest room. It's the same word, actually, that Luke uses to describe the room where the, Jesus told them to go and make preparations for them to eat the Last Supper. It's a guest room. And so the houses would have typically, they might have a guest room on the roof. If they were really well off, they might have one extra room attached to the main dwelling. But mostly, the family lived in a one-room house, like a single end in Glasgow. Have you ever been to People's Palace and seen the, the single end that they've got laid out on the top floor there? There's a bit over here where the sink is. There's a bit over here where the range is. There's a bit over here where the table. There's a bed recess back here where the family slept. Everything went on. There's a tin bath in front of the fire. Everything went on in one minute space. When I was in Cambodia visiting some rural communities there, people had simple shacks and everything went on in the one space. And they kept the animals in that one space on a kind of lower level at one end. And so when Jesus was born, he was born into the house of perhaps a distant relative because Joseph was from there, right? So he had relatives. And so Joseph and Mary squeezed in and the room had already been taken. I know I told you this last week, but I just need to get it out. And so Jesus was born into an environment where he was squeezed into a busy household. Undoubtedly, the men would have been kicked out so the women could attend to the delivery. And with animals at one end for security and warmth, because animals quietly radiating heat through the night contributes in a cold Palestinian or an Israeli home to the overall warmth. And so there's the picture that we have, which isn't quite what appears on our Christmas cards. There's the picture that we have of Jesus and His family squeezed in. 
So I want us to think about hospitality. And first of all, I want just to backtrack a little bit because we heard the two readings that we know back to front, upside down, and inside out, I'm sure, at this time of year, about Mary saying yes to God's unexpected invitation via the angel Gabriel to be the mother of God's Son, and the extent to which she was not expecting or, in some respects, prepared. And so, Mary, as we know, on hearing and receiving this news, being troubled by the appearance and the message of the angel, and asking her question about how this might be, since she was betrothed to Joseph but not yet married to him, and therefore not in a full and a consummate marriage relationship, receives her answer. And Mary, in response, says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. May your word to me be fulfilled. And so, I want us to think in the broadest terms about hospitality, because Mary offered hospitality in a quite unique, remarkable, and special way to Jesus. And before we go too far down the road, let's reflect a little bit on what hospitality is and what it means. This is a time and a season of the year where everybody in one way, shape, or form will either be offering hospitality or receiving hospitality. You're either hosting or you're being hosted at Christmas, right, for the most part. And whether that's on Christmas Day or whether that's an invitation to join people for food or celebrations or whatever around the festive season, there'll be times when the, the, the onus will be on you, and there'll be times when you can just go and enjoy what somebody else has done or is doing for you. But hospitality always comes at a cost, a willing cost, a glad cost, a welcome cost, no doubt, but there is a cost to hospitality. It's not just the cost of the food, but there may well be a sacrifice in that, particularly if too many people turn up, and it might just be a case of own family hold back because there's not enough to go around. And so, you make sure that the guests get what is the best, and you might do with a little less. Or the cost of hosting a meal for many people at Christmas might mean that the meals either side of Christmas Day are a little sparse. Because sometimes, you see, we put all the emphasis on the big meal. But for people living in poverty or financial difficulties, people depending on food banks or the next payment going in. For people living hand to mouth, it's not Christmas Day. Indeed, homeless charities, and I don't want this to sound cynical because every good that is done is good, but there's a massive upsurge in interest around homelessness around Christmas and particularly about Christmas Day because that's where we put the big focus but what about all the boring, ordinary days and weeks in between where you still need to eat? And so, there's a cost, perhaps, to hospitality if you have to make sacrifices either side. There's an inconvenience in hospitality. The very nature of being hospitable to people often means 
putting yourself out or giving yourself extra work. It means running around, working and looking after people, doing mountains of dishes, buying food in, and so on. And none of it, hopefully, maybe some of it, but not much of it is grudged. (laughs) It's the nature of hospitality. It's inconvenient. It takes us out of our way. There can be risk in offering hospitality. There can be the risk of uh, not just the cost or the expense to ourselves, the risk of being taken advantage of. There's the risk that they may not invite you back. (laughs) Maybe that's not a risk. There's a measure of humility involved in hospitality. We open your home, make where you live and what you have, your stuff, your home, your living environment, open to other people to come and see where you are. You're waiting on table. You're humbling yourself in order to honor and value and show respect to the people that you have welcomed into your home. There's service involved in hospitality. And so if we take those as some of the markers and the qualities of hospitality that we're urged to offer to one another, Mary offered hospitality to Jesus in a unique way. Mary offered at cost, at sacrifice, at risk, with the possibility of it being misinterpreted or misunderstood. She offered her body that God might entrust her with the gift of His Son. She offered her life, which would never be the same again because she said yes to Jesus Christ and did not and could not fully know what saying yes to Jesus Christ might mean or look like because she had no clue in some respects of the magnitude of what she was saying yes to. She offered her home to give a place to the Son of God that would be His family home in Nazareth growing up. And the work that she would do and the cooking and the cleaning and the sewing and the mending and all of those things, she gave them to the living God. Her work, her family. She gave hospitality to Jesus in amongst the other children that she would have with Joseph, James, and Jude, and other brothers and sisters as well. We, we find reference to them elsewhere in the Gospels. She offered her mothering to Jesus. Hers would be the breast that would nurse the Son of God. She offered her entirety. And Joseph, for his part, we read in the, in the passage from Matthew, after deciding to divorce this faithless fiancé, is persuaded that what has happened is an act of God and is convinced to take Mary home as his wife. And so Joseph extends hospitality as well. He extends that which Mary could not. And most importantly and most critically, Joseph invites Jesus into the hospitality, if that's the right word, of his family line, of his lineage. 
You see, it was utterly important that the Son of God be also the Son of David. And Joseph's line was traced back to David. And by adopting, because that's exactly how it was understood, Jesus as his son, then Jesus inherited the lineage that Joseph provided. If Mary provided a body, a life, a way into the world, Joseph provided the line that would connect Jesus critically to the family of origin that had been prophesied through Scripture. And so Joseph is not some bit-part cameo player with nothing much to do but hover in the background awkwardly. Joseph is front and center, extending the hospitality of what he has, offering the hospitality, if you like, of his protection in a patriarchal society to wife and child, offering his life because the impact upon who he was and how he would live would be as profound as on Mary, was opening his home that he owned and worked for because it belonged to him and it was his livelihood and his work that sustained it. And so he invited Jesus in to his work in his home, invited as Mary did Jesus into his family and Jesus was dependent on Joseph for his fathering. And all that would be passed on, all that was required to be passed on from a father to his son, was Joseph's mandate and responsibility to do. John, in his gospel prologue, which we will get to, includes in chapter 1, the verses 12 to 13, which extend to us a challenge and an opportunity to offer hospitality to Jesus. Yet to all who did receive Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. To those who did receive Him. Because our response to Jesus Christ has to be an active one, one whereby we, as Mary and Joseph in their own unique ways, had to say yes to some fairly profound implications, we also are challenged whether we will make room in our busy lives and schedules, in our busy worlds and homes and thoughts and values and attitudes and reactions, in the busyness of our finances and our ambitions and the things that we want, will we make room to receive Jesus and what does that mean? To all who did receive Him, to those who believed in His name, and to believe, to put our faith in Jesus, not just as a baby, but Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, to yield our faith to the name that is above all names, qualifies us, gives us the right to become children of God. That is the legal document. Those are the adoption papers whereby we may become children of God. It sounds like we do it all, doesn't it? Mary 
doing it all. Joseph doing it all. We are called to do it all. But let's think about what Jesus did. Let's think about how Jesus has come to earth for us in order that He might extend to us a welcome and a place within His family. (laughs) You see, it's not that we do it all for Him. It's that He has come in order that He might invite us. One of the most commonly read passages, certainly in the years when I had more funerals to do than I do these days, was John 14, where Jesus, just before His departure, said to His disciples, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Jesus has gone to prepare a place for you. (laughs) He's gone to extend the hospitality of heaven, of a seat at the banquet of the marriage supper of the Lamb, a place where we may dwell and see Him face to face and be with Him and He with us. And so when Jesus came to earth, He put off all of the comfort and the pleasure and the splendor and the glory of home, if you like, in order to inconvenience Himself in the Incarnation, in order to risk Himself to Mary and Joseph, in order to come in pursuit of you and to live at the mercy of the hospitality of others. Premier Premier Christian Radio phoned me the other day because, as you may be aware, we now have a homeless Jesus sculpture uh, outside by the uh, sculptor Timothy Schmaltz. And on Thursday of last week, the sculpture out the back was unveiled, and it simply depicts, quite movingly, I believe, a a sleeping figure on a park bench, all covered over save the feet, which have holes in them. And the Premier Christian Radio phoned up, and they said, you know, some churches uh, have refused to have the homeless Jesus sculpture because they uh, are offended that it depicts Jesus as being homeless. What do you say to that? And I remembered when Jesus said, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay His head. Jesus, by His own decision, to the very best of our knowledge or understanding, had no place or home on this earth, was entirely dependent on the hospitality and the place that others gave Him, whether that be Peter's home in Capernaum or whether that be Lazarus' home in Bethany or wherever else He was made welcome Jesus was entirely dependent on the hospitality of others, and by turn, those who recognized who He was and opened their home and made welcome for Him would have the right to become children of God. We'd have the promise of Jesus that He go there to prepare a place for you. 
and that he charge us to make him welcome. In that Bethlehem house, some unknown person or family extended the hospitality. We have no names, we have no connections, we have no information about how it was that Mary and Joseph came to be there, but they were not at home and therefore dependent on what others provided for them. Some other faceless individual or individuals were responsible for providing the holy family with a roof over their heads, with food to eat, with water, with shelter, with warmth, with the very manger that belonged to their animals. I don't imagine for a minute that the people who took in Jesus' parents understood what they were doing, had any measure of the sense that this was God who they had taken under their roof. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, it says, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Share, says Paul to the Romans, with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. And so, whether named or nameless, the charge and the challenge comes to us about what does it look like for us to receive Jesus and to believe in Him, to receive Him as Savior for your sins, to receive Him as Lord of your life, to receive Him as God come in pursuit of you to take you home and prepare a place for you, as the one who comes to seek you out and hunt you down with love in His eyes and a longing in His heart that you might be His. And having found us and won us and called us to Him, in turn, He calls us. He calls us to the hospitality that He Himself exercises. If the cost to Mary was her life, her womb, her family, if the cost to Joseph was the potential of a sullied reputation, his home, his livelihood, the cost to Jesus of inviting you into his home <laughs> was his death upon the cross. The cost to Jesus was that he would leave the comfort and security of heaven in order to endure the hardship and the homelessness of earth in order to see if there would be any who would hear and respond. And he went finally to a place of humiliation, brutalization, pain and suffering, in order there before God to bear the burden of your guilt and shame and mine as well. That was the cost of the hospitality of heaven. <laughs> it was the cost of what it takes to say to you, you are welcome. And Jesus has gone ahead to prepare your place, and it's all paid for. It's all paid for. In this church, we have the Wild Olive Tree Cafe as a ministry of hospitality. We do it partly to connect the church with the street and to help people find a way in who might, for all sorts of reasons, struggle to know how to come into a church 
It's a blurring of lines between the street and the church sanctuary. It's a place and a space where in amongst people who simply come to meet with friends or Christian leaders who have meetings and catch up on business, I don't know all that transacts here, but it's a place that in amongst all of that seeks quietly and faithfully to extend a ministry and a sign of grace and hospitality to offer a place in the city center which is not just another trading post, but as a place of welcome, as a place of mercy to the homeless who come, as a place of opportunity for ministry and service because customers generously give in order that homeless people who can't afford to can eat with dignity alongside paying customers in this environment. It's a place where little pastoral encounters take place and conversations happen. It's a place which is a quiet ministry and sometimes a noisy ministry and a bustling ministry of hospitality. I mean, in a little while, we're going to have the AGM, which sounds awfully formal, but actually what it's going to consist of is I'm going to invite Chris to come up and I'm going to invite the other trustees to pop up as well so that you can see who they are and we'll hear a little bit more about it. And then I'm going to just call for some nominations for trustees because there's formal business we have to do. If you're a member of this church, then you're also invited to fill out a form and be a member of the cafe so that you can, in a sense, own responsibility <laughs> for the oversight of the cafe via the trustees. It's just one expression of hospitality. And we seek to extend a welcome to the homeless, to the lonely, to the church in its widest sense, to the seeker, to the hostile, and to the clueless who have no idea about the gospel of the church. And we seek to find ways of saying to people who come in, have you considered Jesus Christ. We don't put texts and rice paper on the scones or anything like that. But through the words on the walls, through the art where Ian is painting his way through Luke's gospel, and through this rather spectacular painting that you may have seen on your way in, which is in fact a Peter Housen original, if that means anything to you, who was invited to paint Homeless Jesus. So the painting was unveiled and is on loan to us until Christmas Eve and ties in with a sculpture out the back. So as we think about hospitality, and as this Christmas you will either receive it or be invited and asked to host it and provide it, and amongst all of the busyness and the expense of that, think of what it means to offer your hospitality of who you are and of your life to Jesus. Is there just a crowded corner left in your busy life for Jesus as there was for the infant placed in the manger? Or is there like there was for Mary and Joseph a wholesale recognition and invitation to come and take it all? Come and take it all, whatever that means or looks like in the knowledge that you have given it all. So I'm going to pray and then I'm going to uh, maybe invite Chris to come and speak and we'll introduce you to some trustees and do a little bit of slightly more formal things. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for the invitation that Mary and Joseph received and accepted to extend the humility and the sacrifice of their hospitality, of life and home and livelihood, of their lives and all that that would mean forever after in faith to you. And we recognize, Lord, that our yielding to you in that respect, our receiving you, our putting our faith in your name comes with it the promise and the return of adoption into your family, of entering into the fullness of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, and of the promise of a place prepared in hospitality for us. Lord, we are aware of the plight of people who have little or nothing grateful for the opportunity through the ministry of our Kathy and what it does to play a very small part in ministering grace and help to those in need. But we pray, Lord, we pray, Lord, for many people in our society. We pray for those who are, yes, obviously homeless, but we pray, Lord, for those who are homeless for a whole host of other reasons we pray for those who are broken because of the poor start they had in life, because of the neglect that they received, because of the poverty of their circumstances, because of words spoken to them or over them which broke them inside and stuck. Lord, we are aware that homelessness is just an expression of deeper issues, and we're aware of the poverty that exists in this city. And so we pray, Lord, for the agencies that are seeking on the streets and opening up projects and opportunities to people to meet the needs of broken people and offer them a sign of hope. We thank you, Lord, for the work of Glasgow City Mission. We thank you for the work of Bethany Christian Trust. We thank you, Lord, for all the agencies that seek in this city to minister in the name of Jesus and to show something of the power and transformation of the kingdom. Lord, we pray for all those who give and seek to serve, to minister to those in need. And we recognize, Lord, that you call us to play a part with you in extending your grace and concern for those who are in need. So, Lord, would you challenge us as to the welcome that we extend to you through our ordinary daily lives to make room for you day to day in our praying, in our reading, in our thinking, in our serving. And Lord, would you make us an agent of your compassion as individuals and as a church to those who are particularly in need, not just at Christmas, but throughout the year. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.